Father, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're here today, and we wish to hear from you. We wish to see you. And where we don't have the desire, we pray for it. Where we don't have the eyes, we pray for the eyes to see what you want us to see. Father, I thank you that each person that's here is here because you have called them, you have brought them. And we just yield to you, Jesus. We thank you so much that you are such a good king. We could never ask for a better king than you. So we pray, God, as we look at your word, we would remember that you're looking at us and that you're with us and that you want to flow through us because you live in us, because you dwell in us. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a story in John chapter 3, which many of you are familiar with, I'm sure. I'm going to read it to you. Jesus said to the religious leader of Israel, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? How is it that perhaps the foremost religious and devout, most educated man in all of Israel did not understand the ways of the Spirit? He missed God when God was in front of him. How can that be? Something to think about. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 say this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were all together in one place. Why? Because they were confident in the love of the one who had told them to stay put. Jesus, just a chapter before Acts chapter 1 verse 4, he says this. He told them to wait. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father. They were simply doing what he had asked them to do. That's why they were there. Has God ever asked you to do something that you don't fully understand? If you're anything like me, it's like a daily occurrence, right? You're not alone. These people were in that place. So as we read this, put yourself where they were. Think about what they were going through and what they were feeling in this place. On the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost is another name for that, was the, the, uh, the day of first fruits. Very appropriate, appropriate and prophetic, actually. It was also called at the end of what was called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. So on the very last day, it's very interesting, the very last day of the seven-week 
uh, festival, this, this feast, they were told, they were commanded in the Old Testament to sit put, to do no work, and to simply rest. And that's what they were doing. Not only were they obeying the immediate command of the Lord, but they were also obeying what God had said in the Old Testament there at this feast. So it says that they were all together in one place, and Jesus commanded them. Let's stop for a second and, and try, to, try to remember who the them is. Who is he referring to? Who are these 120 believers that are in this place? Essentially, these were common people. These were uneducated fishermen. A tax collector, essentially formerly an enemy of Jerusalem, Matthew. Mary Magdalene, formerly possessed by seven demons, who later was the first one to proclaim that Jesus had risen from the dead. And what was the response from the disciples? You're crazy. They didn't listen to her. And the apostles, just in general, they always seem to do and say the wrong things at the wrong time, right? For three years, by any stretch of the imagination, by any human standard, they were nobodies, they were failures, they were unqualified. And you know what they had just gone through prior to this? Besides being taught by Jesus for 40 days prior to that, they had gone through a prolonged period of discouragement, depression, their, their leader had just died. It said they couldn't even pray in the garden. Why? For sadness. They were so sad, they just fell asleep. And then what did they do? Even after Jesus rose from the dead, where did they go? They went to their homes and locked the doors for fear. Cowards. So these are the people. <laughs> these are the people who were here on this day when this amazing, mighty thing happen. And I, I can't help add myself to that group. Um, we are all like these people. But yet, in spite of their perfections, little did they know, for three years, the one who was perfect was working in them, was working through them, was preparing them for something. They didn't even realize what it was. But it didn't matter. They didn't have to know. They didn't have to be perfect. They didn't have to get it. They didn't have to understand all the ways of God to do the things of God. They simply had to do one thing. They just had to show up. They just had to stay put when he said to do something. They simply had to walk through that one door that was right in front of them on that day, on this day. That's all they had to do. It says here that there was a mighty rushing wind. The word mighty is, can also be translated as violent. And this word is not seen anywhere else in the whole New Testament. It is because, I believe, this is unprecedented. What was happening here was a big deal. This is what we're going to talk about today. This unprecedented thing that God did through his spirit. It was a mighty, violent, unprecedented, rushing wind. The word rushing, it has the idea of bringing something with it. Okay? So the other day I was sitting outside and a wind came up. 
And a few seconds later, something came, went into my eye. That wind brought something with it. And it wasn't good in that case, but in this case, it was amazing. It was very good. But that's what this Greek word has associated with it, is the idea of not just a wind for wind's sake, but it had the idea of bringing something with it, like the current of a river brings what's in it to a location for a purpose, okay? The word wind, I'm not going to go into every word, but I want to, I want to focus on these because they're very key to understand. The word wind is the word, it's translated elsewhere, actually in Acts chapter 17, verse 25, um, for breath, the breath of life. Okay, so, so get the picture here. God is breathing into this room and filling it, and filling the people in it. And he's breathing not for any random reason. He's breathing for a purpose. He's breathing into these believers so that they can speak and breathe his words, which bring life to other people. And that's what we see in this passage. In John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. God breathed so they could speak. The entire room was filled. The entire house was filled where they were sitting. The other day I went to Elmer's with my wife. And we had breakfast for dinner. How many of you have ever done that? Yes, you're all my friends. Breakfast for dinner, it's great. So I don't, I don't know what happened, but I don't normally do this. Usually I, this is reserved for my 9-year-old or my 11-year-old, but I had the, the container of syrup, right? And usually I just kind of put just enough, but I, I was kind of out of my mind, and I just, <laughs> I just emptied the thing on my pancake, and it was amazing. But the, the syrup just saturated the pancake, and it overflowed onto the plate. I mean, it was excess. It was not necessary to have that much sweet syrup on my plate, really. But it was good. Um, and that's what's happening here. When God breathes, when he brings life, there's overflow. There's enough to go around. The only difference with my syrup versus God is he doesn't run out. The, the, the container's just bottomless, right? Bottomless syrup. And the sweetness of his spirit has come to this place on this particular day. So what happens as a result of this coming, this wind that brought God with it, God's power with it, is it says that divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were partially filled. Some of them were filled. No, all. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. All 120 of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Um, this, this is a partial fulfillment of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 16. Those who These signs will follow them who believe. The first thing he says there is they will speak in new tongues. That's what's happening here. This is the beginning of what God is doing. God on earth, which is God's spirit. Jesus came to be with us. 
He sent his spirit to be in us. This is also a reversal of the Tower of Babel. If you remember from Genesis chapter 11, what did the, what did the people of the earth do? They said, let us make a name for God? No, let us make a name for ourselves. And so God confused their languages. And so for thousands of years, um, there had been, you know, separation, right? And then Jesus comes and he breaks down the middle wall of separation. And those who are afar off, he brings near. And those who are separated by, by their own sin, God comes and he kicks those walls down. And he comes by his spirit and he says, now I am bringing anyone who will come into my family to make them one, as he spoke of in John chapter 17. All of them one, as I am one, Jesus said, with the Father. The same oneness that Jesus has with the Father, he offers to us. Do you know that Jesus is our brother and we are joint heirs with him? Mind bomb. It's amazing that God would see us adopted children as if we were his biological child, so to speak. So this, 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 what's happening is representative of the oneness that God is bringing, but it happened in God's timing. The Tower of Babel happened by man's plan. And God said, I don't, I don't want you to come together because we saw what happened when man comes together prior to the flood. Murder, violence, evil thoughts continually all the time. That's what man does when man gets together and says, I don't want you, God. So God comes and he says, by my spirit, Because of my son, I'm going to bring people together in my way and in my time and with my power for my purposes. And that's exactly what he's doing here. So these believers, um, did did they know what was going to happen? Did Did they really, do you think they actually grasped the gravity of what they were seeing, of what they were witnessing, of what they were experiencing themselves? No, there's no way. This was absolutely unprecedented, and it was totally unexpected. Their part was very simple. Just do what Jesus says, says. and that's exactly what they did. Um, and, and, and he showed up, and he did his part. He says, just, just submit to me, just obey me, and I'll do the rest, and that's what he did. I can imagine if they had not listened to him, if they had not waited. I don't understand completely why, but for some reason, God has chosen to use and work through people. God is seen in us. Jesus came and modeled what the Father looks like. And then he says, go as the Father has sent me, so I send you. First John says, anyone who says he abides in him, in Jesus, ought to walk the way he walked. That is our mandate. Jesus walked like the Father. We're to walk like Jesus. He set us an example of submission and, and just listening to what he said. Something happens when we submit to God. Something happens. And I know submit, it's like a dirty word, right, in our society. Submit, um, it, sound, it sounds bad. It sounds horrible. But if, if we don't, when we don't, it's worse. When we don't submit to God, it's worse. Something happens when we submit to God whether it means showing up or staying put, when we submit, 
we make way for the king to come. When we submit, we make way, we make a place for the king to come and do whatever he wants to do. And that's what he's doing here. And even though they couldn't have fully foreseen what was happening, those who were ready and open to God's spirit here in this place were simply just vessels that he could overflow through. That's all they were. They were just there. But there was another group of onlookers here at this place. How did they react? Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are these not all, uh, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? I'm not going to read the list, but there were essentially 15 people groups. Some scholars believe that not, um, not all the groups that were there are recorded here, because um, it says everyone under, under heaven basically was here. So there were a lot of groups represented, at least 15 here. Um, and it says, uh, both Jews and, and proselytes, verse 11, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. When God shows up, it is natural to miss him. When God shows up, it is natural to miss him. That statement might stun you. But in 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The things that come from God, only those who have God have the capacity to understand them. Otherwise, they, it's foolishness. It doesn't make sense. And that's the group of people that are here listening. But look at the timing of this. Fifteen groups just happen to be here on this day, for this particular feast. So there was something that was drawing them there. They were already there. God knew they would be there, right? And they hear this sound of these, these people speaking in different tongues, and it amazes them. And so they, they gather around, and they start, they're drawn to this, uh, what's happening. And, they're, and they're really, there's this common confusion and consternation. I don't know how else to describe it. But there's four words that are used here to describe what these people are experiencing. Um, it says they were devout men, like Nicodemus, but yet they still didn't understand. They were, they were devout uh, people who were following the religious rules of the day, following the law, and they did not understand what was happening here. It says they were be bewildered, which means to be mentally disturbed or confused collectively. Confused collectively. So it's really interesting because you have different people groups, but yet there was a collective confusion. I find that very interesting. They were also amazed, which can mean besides themselves. It can also mean to go insane. So these people were, were, were literally, I mean, I think it's hard to even explain what they were going through. Just, they, they were, they didn't even have, some of them didn't even have words to say. They said, what is it that we're seeing here? Um, it also says they were astonished and later perplexed, which means to be completely at a loss. They were beside themselves. They, they, they had no answers. They had no understanding or knowledge about what they were witnessing on this day. 
So why this reaction? Why did they have such a, a strong reaction to what was happening? Well, it says right here in verse um, verse 7, at the end of verse 7, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So like Peter was recognized uh, somehow, maybe his accent, however, uh, at the fire, right, when he denied the Lord, they re- those here gathered recognized were, these were Galileans. They had not been taught different languages. They were not multilingual, but yet they were speaking in different languages. So this group is like really stuck. They don't know what conclusions to come up with. So the best thing they came up with was, oh, they're drunk. Okay, okay, let me get this. So they're drunk. All right, are you drunk? Um, <laughs> because all of a sudden, uneducated people are are multilingual lingual instantly. And they're not just saying anything. They're speaking of the mighty works of God. They're speaking intelligently. And the best they could come up with was they're drunk. It's almost like you've heard the saying, you know, when someone's drunk, it's just the booze talking. Well, I, I don't think that uh, it was the booze talking here, right? Um, it's clearly not the, the spirits that were talking. It was the spirit. <laughs> if you catch my drift. Um, although there were probably spirits actually speaking through them. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, so so they, were, they were intoxicated with God. That's basically what it looked like to these people. They were possessed, truly, with God on earth. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you realize that if we have trusted in Jesus, if we love him, if we believe in him, Matt Dalby's dead. The book of Revelation speaks of the fact that we get a new name. And I just wonder if the day I believed in him, he said, here's your new name. You're not Matt Dalby anymore. I don't know what that name is, but I bet when I'm there looking at him or hear him say that name, I bet I'll turn around and answer to it. We are new creations in Christ. We are not battling our flesh. We are battling unseen spirits. That's what Ephesians chapter 6 says. The old man is dead. I can't, I can't talk to the old man. He's dead. He's gone. Because I've been crucified with Christ, and Christ lives in me. That means Christ lives through me. That means, it doesn't mean I'm God, but that means God lives in me. And all that God is lives in me. Like, that's amazing. And he lives in you too, if you, if you believe in Jesus. And that's how Jesus can look at someone who has done nothing but offered him filthy rags, the best I can give him, and says, righteous, justified, as if you'd never sinned, because God lives in me. It's his dwelling place. And that's how he is seen on earth through us. That's how he's chosen to be seen. I want to um, I want to read to you the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read quickly, but I think it's important that we see this. 
First or sorry, yeah, First Corinthians chapter two, verse four. It says, "And my speech, Paul speaking, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit, the spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man has imagined, uh, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us. How? Through his spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So all the learning and education that Nicodemus had wasn't enough. There was a key, one key to unlock what God had for him. We're going to talk about that. So if you're here and you're listening or you're listening online and you might feel like an outsider, you might feel like an onlooker and you might say, what is it this guy's talking about? If you feel that way, it's okay. We're going to, we're going to get to that. There is a key, like I said, that will unlock for you what all of this means. But more than that. So Peter continues, or um, yeah, Peter, go into, into Peter's explanation. So there's, there's confusion here among all these people, um, just total confusion. They don't know what's going on. And Peter, moved by the Holy Spirit, stands up um, in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. It says that God foretold through the prophet Joel that he would pour out his spirit on just the apostles? No. All flesh. There is one spirit. One God, one church, one mission, one spirit, one faith, one baptism. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're here today. There... It's amazing that he says all flesh, and then he includes sons and daughters. He includes young and old, male, female, free, slave, rich, poor, anyone, everyone. Not selective, 
because God's not partial. In the Old Testament, the Spirit came at certain times for a period of time to do certain things. He came upon a man, I forget his name, who he helped give the plans for the t- building of the temple. Um, the Spirit of God came upon Saul, it's mentioned. And, and, and so he shows up throughout the Old Testament, but this is unprecedented because this, something is happening here. We're going to get to that in the next section. Um, in fact, I'm just going to I'm just going to jump right in. Um, so verses 19 through 21, it says, And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is a quote from Joel. But is it referring to the past or the future? There are clear references in the Old Testament to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a period of time. And it does speak of the judgment of God on judgment day. Okay, so it's clearly, based on the Old Testament, something that's going to be future even beyond this point in time. But based on how Peter is explaining and speaking of this passage, he says, um, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he says, men of Israel, hear these words of Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes on to explain what they're seeing, okay, in front of them. Um, So I would submit that it's not just a a future event, but in a way, it's also a past event. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Um, In this passage, it references signs in the heavens and earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke, darkness, the moon being turned to blood. Okay, so if you look at Revelation chapter 6, chapter 19, and chapter 20 specifically, and you compare that to what happened at the cross, we see some common threads. There was blood poured out at the cross. Jesus' blood was poured out. There was darkness. Some scholars believe that there was even a blood moon at at that point on that day. The two things that we don't see at the crucifixion of Christ is fire and smoke. We do see those things in Revelation 19 and 20. And the the smoke and the fire are from the burning of demons, the burning of flesh. That didn't happen at the cross. There was blood. There was darkness. Potentially a blood moon. Why? Why? Because God was poured out his full wrath, his full judgment on all the unrighteousness that all of us have ever committed, both dead and yet to be born. He poured out all the judgment as a perfect, righteous, eternal judge on his son Jesus at the cross. So there there were signs of judgment at the cross. But there is also going to be judgment for those who say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and take the wrath of God on my own. And it's not going to work. God already poured out his wrath on his son so that anyone who wants to can accept that. John 5.24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who he sent, or, or who sent me, has eternal life. 
He has not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So those who believe in Jesus, those who trust in him, they get to skip over the final horrible judgment day. Why does Peter say it's a magnificent day? It sounds really apocalyptic, and it is. How can this day of the Lord be a magnificent thing? The day of the Lord, I believe, started at the crucifixion when God poured out his wrath on his son, and we are in this period of God's grace and his patience because he wants, he desires that no one perish, that no one burn, okay? But those who don't believe, it it really depends which judgment is applicable to each person depends on which judgment they decide, whether they decide to have Jesus take that judgment for them or not. He says, Peter explains this in detail. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So these mighty works, these wonders, these signs, they were brought uh, they, they happened through Jesus to confirm the word that was spoken, okay? Just like at what's happening here, these, this sign of God's coming, you know, the, the, the flame, as flames of fire upon their heads, speaking in different tongues, mighty rushing wind. Um, these are signs that drew people, the outsiders, so to speak, to this event to give Peter the opportunity to speak. Just like Jesus, when he was on earth, he would go and he would heal people. He would go and he would provide bread for those who were hungry to draw them and to show them God's love. And then he had an opportunity to share God's truth with them. And that's what's happening. This this group of people are are hearing what Peter's saying. And Peter is bringing the indictment against them of what they have done. But he's also saying that this all happened according to God's plan. God didn't do it, but it was according to his plan. That word plan can also be translated as purpose. So God had a purpose. He works all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians says. So God works all things together for good. To who? To those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For those who don't, it's not good. But he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And he says, "God, this didn't take God by surprise, even though you killed Jesus, my son, at the hands of lawless men by the Romans, a higher court jumped in and prevailed. God raised him up, verse 24, loosing the pangs of death. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says that sin is the sting of death. When Jesus came and he died and he rose from the dead, he took away any sting that's associated with death for those who believe. And guess what else he did? He put, he disarmed Satan and his demons. He also put him to open shame, the book of Colossians says. He triumphed over him. He made a public spectacle. Satan brought his best. He killed the Lord of glory. And Satan's best, which he thought would bring about the, the demise of any chance of anyone being saved, was God's greatest act. God used it for his greatest, our greatest good and his greatest glory. He made a public spectacle of the enemy when he did this. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, 
for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness uh, with your presence. Of course, um, he's speaking of Jesus. David was speaking of Jesus in Psalm 16 here. It was written a thousand years before this happened. A thousand years this was written before it even occurred. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence, verse 29, about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That's what he's speaking of in Psalm 16. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He didn't rot in the grave. He's alive. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. They all saw him. It says 5,000 people saw him or more um, walking around. And he was with them for 40 days. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So Peter's explaining this to these people and they're hearing it and they're now understanding and the light bulbs are turning on and they're getting what they had just seen and why it's happening. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, the Lord, speaking of the Father, said to my Lord Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. I get this picture, Psalm 110, of the Father's like, son, I got this. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, speaking of Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So the truth was shared by the Spirit through Peter. So how did this same crowd react this time after the truth of God was shared? Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? If someone shared the news that you had a terminal disease, what would your response be? And I ask that question not to make light of that if you have had news like that, um, but to just make a point that if, when getting news, bad news like that, our response is, what's the cure? Tell me what I need to do to be cured of this deadly disease. And that's what these people, that's how they responded at this point. They're like, oh, shoot. We killed God's son. And he's sitting on the throne. And he's Lord. And he's God. And he's in charge. And there's no getting out of this. I can't do this on my own. I will not escape the wrath of God on my own. I cannot. He's God. And this is what he says. They are just absolutely ripped apart in their hearts. And they said, what? Oh, tell us, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. For the forgiveness of your sins, repent, turn. Just believe what God said. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit like all of us who 
have just received the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and all those who are far off. Whoa, 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 let's stop here a second. Um, the promises for you and your children? Are these not the same people who yelled and screamed out, crucify him and let his blood be on us and our children? Calling down curses upon them and their offspring? Yes, some of the same people who were there saying crucify him, curse us if you have to. Let him die. What does Jesus do? What did Jesus do? What was his first act? Comes by his spirit, sends his followers to the very people who put him to death. Murderers. He goes to murderers first. He goes to the, have you done anything worse than killing Jesus? Do you think that he can't forgive you? If you do, it's a lie. He can and he will and he wants to. If he went to the very people that put him to death, then he can and will forgive anyone for anything when they come to him in faith. And he says, for all who are far off. Guess who that is? That's us. All who are far off. This promise is for us who believe, but it's also for those who don't believe because he wants you and his family as well. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Not everyone who the Lord God calls to a building or a religion or a list of duties, but calls to himself. John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, Jesus speaking of the Father, and me. Eternal life is knowing Jesus. And if the Father is calling us, he calls us whether believers or not, he's always calling. If he's calling, we just simply need to respond. Even if we don't understand. These people didn't understand. He said, stay put. They stayed put. They didn't get it. It says for 40 days he explained to them the things of the kingdom. What did they ask him? Is now, are you going to come establish your kingdom? After 40 days, they still didn't understand. I'm 40. After 40 years, I still don't understand. He's still working. He's still patient. He understands we're but flesh. And he's here meeting with us and working with us daily. All we have to do is respond to the call. So, Peter, it says here that with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. Peter's like, this promises for all of them. And he is not giving up. Like he continued to encourage them, to, to woo them, to convince them that this is the only way. Like this is the truth. And, and it's, it's not Peter who's speaking here. It's the Holy Spirit that's speaking through Peter. That's why the Spirit came. So Peter didn't have to worry about converting these people. The Holy Spirit, that's his job. Peter was just here and God moved upon his heart to explain and bring clarity to the confusion. And that's what he's doing. So God's speaking to these people, and, and, and Peter's exhorting them. He's saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and those who were added that day were about 3,000 souls. So just to wrap up, and I know I'm, I'm running out of time here. Um, even though confusing, God used a miracle to captivate people to listen to his word and to believe. Even though they didn't understand, just like Nicodemus, even though he didn't understand, 
He was willing to come and listen. These people, they came. They were drawn in by this miracle. And it was confirmed by God's word, by God's truth. Romans 5, I want to read this, verses 6 through 8. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were perfect, no, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What a great salvation God gives. What a great salvation he's offered. The, the book of, I think it's First Peter, Second Peter, says that the prophets, they didn't even see what we see. It says that the angels desire to look into this grace of God that he's given to mankind. God did not have to do this. He could have let us languish and be doomed without him. He did not have to come, but he did. He offers us this salvation, and it's free. It's a gift. For by grace we're saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the free gift of God, and not of works, lest anyone can boast. So I asked the question at the beginning, how is it that even a religious, devout, and education, educated person like Nicodemus could miss the ways of the Spirit? The answer, the key, is Christian or not Christian. Spiritual sight, understanding always originates from belief of the heart. That's the key whether you're a Christian or not. And if you, I don't have time to read, but Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 and following, Paul says, I pray that God would enlighten the eyes of your heart to understand the depths of his love for you. Believers, he's writing to believers. Romans chapter 10, if you don't know Jesus here today, or you're listening online, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God said that. It's the truth. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge or know Him, and He will make your paths straight. These people were on a crooked path. They were on the wrong path. And Jesus says to His followers, Go to them. Go to the ones who put me to death in hatred. The ones who beat me. The one who, ones who mocked me. The ones who pressed that crown of thorns into my head. The ones who put the nails through my hands and my feet. Go to them. They need me more than anybody. Because I love them. And I want to make them one and part of my family. God is willing that none should perish. May God give us this heart that the Father has in the power of the Spirit with the mind of Christ, not the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind.
That's what God has given us. That's what God has given us so that we can give what he's given to us to them. Let's pray. God, only you can enlighten us to your ways. You only ask that we do our part, and that's just to submit to you, to seek you, to submit to you, whether it means stay or stay put or, or, or go or whatever it is, God. We, we just recognize today that just believing in you is the work you have for us. Thank you, Father, for sending your spirit, for loving me that much, for loving us that much for loving those who are far off, and that's us. We, we could never say thank you enough, and we just worship you. And we ask God that in this place you would just fall, as you already have. And not just in this place, in this room, but in this place, in this town, God. We ask that you would pour, would overflow out of us like that syrup. That the sweetness of your spirit, God, that brings conviction to the lost, that brings alignment to those who know you, would be seen, would be felt, would be heard, God. God, we can't do anything without you, and that's why you came, because you know we can't do it. But you live in us. Would you live through us, God? In Jesus' name, amen.